Welcome to Reciprocity Podcast, where we discuss the backstories and strategies of photojournalists, sports photographers, documentary filmmakers, and photo editors. Now, here's your host, Brett Carlson. So today's show, after a very long break, thanks to... I don't know what reason, but these are a lot of work to make, but we're finally back today. And today I have on Suikar Patel. Suikar and I have been trying to meet up for a while now, and obviously he's working, I'm working, and it seems we always work on the days in which we had this scheduled. Uh, but Suikar used to work at Education Week, and he is now actually working in the world of NASCAR, which is a bit of a departure from the world of Education Week. Suikar, <laughs> before we get into everything else, um, what happened? <laughs> like That is such a jump, man. I decided to go freelance in D.C., and uh, I knew that we were going to move to South Carolina. I'm in North Carolina now, but yeah, I just decided to go freelance and see kind of where that would take me. And um, I started just reaching out to folks down here. Obviously, the journalism aspect down here, freelancing is pretty tough, right? Like you can get assignments and there are a bunch of assignments, but um, they're not as consistent as I would like them to be. And my, you know just get anxious, right? Like I can't have a problem taking an assignment at nine o'clock at night for nine o'clock the next day and not having enough prep time or like just to wrap my brain around it. I'm just not, not built that way. I was pretty lucky to have this opportunity kind of find its way to me. And uh, it's definitely weird though. I never thought I would be in NASCAR. <laughs> I never thought you'd be in NASCAR either. Not, uh, uh, not, not that I'm not a little bit jealous. NASCAR, <laughs> I, I grew up in the country, so I grew up watching Dale Earnhardt and all those 90s NASCAR boys. So uh, I'm a little jealous some days, but yeah, I didn't expect that one at all. Um, so we'll back up. We're going to get back to this. But so you're a Jersey boy, uh, North Jersey, if I remember correctly. Yep. Um, what was the beginning of your career like? Where'd you go to school? How'd you get into this to start out? So photography in general uh, is a second career for me. Um, I was working in like engineering per se, like electronics and engineering. And um, the owner of a company was in a band that played Saturday nights, like a local um, rock cover band. And I would just, he's like, you want to make some extra money? I said, yeah, that's cool. So we'd go and I'd be bored, you know, like I'd just be sitting on the road cases, taking naps, like just you know, working the lights, but I didn't know how to work any lights. And uh, they gave me a camera and I just started taking pictures and they were like, yeah, take photos of us. We'll put them up on our site. And I said, okay. And it was little point, like literally Canon, like point and click. Um, and they got the photos back and they were like, dude, where's all the stage photos? And I was like, oh, what do you mean? They're like, you just got us like loading in, loading out, like getting dressed, like at the bar, like where, where's the <laughs> performance stuff? I'm like, well, that stuff's not interesting. <laughs> and uh and so they you know i ended up doing it but i just started like getting more and more into it and um it was the the stuff behind the stuff that really intrigued me um in making pictures which is you know fast forward now you know nascar it's literally what i do is i find the stuff behind the stuff and um it's just crazy how things come full circle yeah i that's awesome to hear. I live in Nashville now, so I got kind of dropped into this music world quite a bit. And yeah, where's the performance shots is a great question because I feel like I, I desperately want to tell the stories behind the scenes of these bands. And like I go and I do entertainment stuff for um, some companies and it's all cool. It's really interesting kind of here and there. But 
a lot of times like I can see the pictures I want to take, but I can't because the PR person's between me and them. And I'm like, man, there is a lot of great pictures to be made here. Yeah. Um, but they're like, yeah, we just want them on stage looking perfect with the perfect clothes, at the perfect moment. Um, it's, it's, uh, yeah. Anyways, I, I can relate now on a 20 year later kind of scale as well. So yeah, it's a tough balance, right? Like, photographing the real stuff but then you have public figures and brands and sponsorships and just a lot of money behind you know what these people do day in and day out and so necessarily those pictures may or may not see the light of day or maybe they'll see the light of day like 50 years from now when it doesn't matter but yeah um yeah it's definitely a a tough balance yeah your gut instinct was what all photojournalists kind of think of that you know like hey i want to do the behind closed doors, what, how'd it go from working the lights at a band's concert to working at a major publication? Uh, what's the in-between there? In-between is a lot of risk. So um, <laughs> I was pretty, pretty stable early on. Um, I was fortunate to, I had a condo and I was going to work nine to five and uh, I traveled a little bit, but not much. And, you know, I just, had a Panasonic Lumix and I would just make pictures of like gas masks and hands coming out of dirt, like all the art school, like, and, uh, I just was looking for something else. I kind of, I wasn't jazzed about life. Like I wasn't like waking up, like eager to like do stuff. I was just kind of going through the motions. And so I took an, uh, Academy of art in San Francisco. I, uh, signed on for an online class, just one. And it was photography and I loved it. And I was like, okay, cool. This is what I'm going to do. And I talked to the the counselor or whatever. By the way, art school is expensive. Dude, it is no joke. Whoa. I'm still paying for that degree. <laughs> I'm still paying for that. Um, yeah. And so. You pay so much money <laughs> for the most useless degree. <laughs> totally. And like online, which I'll talk about later. I just, I don't really translate well as a person via email or text or like, um, so like a lot of that interaction that I rely on as a person, I wasn't getting. So I actually left art school, but uh, I was heavily in debt after that. Anyway, so yeah, I took a couple classes. One thing led to another. One class led to two. Two led to a semester. And um, the job I was at at the time supported that. And I went down to like a consultant and I was going to school more and more. And then I kind of uh, moved to Indiana on a whim. I sold my condo. I paid for the rest of school with it and uh, packed up my truck and drove to Indiana where I just went to school full time and tried to get any gig I could as a photographer. And so I literally emailed the newspaper every day. I'd go down the courthouse, photograph like one person with a sign and I'd send it to him and be like, is this news? Like, do you want this? <laughs> and uh, I didn't uh, get any calls back, obviously. And uh, then one day we... uh. I went to see David Kennerly speak at the local college in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And in front of me was the photo editor, the director of photography at the newspaper who I was emailing nonstop. And, um, he heard my name. He's like, Oh my God, you're sweet car. You're all over my inbox. And I said, yeah, he goes, we should grab lunch. And that's literally how I got into photojournalism was that interaction standing in the long line with a photo book. 
<laughs> so I I was I was talking to a kid that's in college right now and and or no I'm sorry as a kid who's just recently out of college and uh, he was talking about moving and freelancing and I said dude I said the same thing I was like you know I said you're just gonna like pound pavement and you're gonna call people and like you know go go to that photo conference go to go to New York if some one person will look at your book make the trip I said yeah. you know you can write off the trip one but two I said. That one conference you go to or that one thing might lead to that person who could give you a freelance assignment or give you a job or give you something, um, yeah. you know, and I, it's just like those chance interactions can mean a lot. I, I completely agree. And there's no equation to anything that's happened in my life. It is literally just like head down, do the best I can with what I got until an opportunity happens. You take the opportunity use it to build on your other opportunity. And it was a process. Like I didn't think it was going to work, you know? And at some point they were like, maybe you shouldn't be in photography. Maybe you should transfer to our new media design program because there aren't any photo jobs. And I was like, yeah, but then that defeats the whole purpose of leaving my other job. Like I'm just going to end up doing something else that I don't like. So, well, not that I didn't like it, but it wasn't like feeling the passion or yeah. And it sounds totally privileged, right? Cause there's tons of people who don't get to live, and do what they love. And so I totally understand that. And um, I don't mean to sound like I deserve or should be like doing the thing that I love. I just got lucky. And uh, yeah, but if you're going to, if, if you're going to make the bold choice to gamble, yeah. like you want to, you want to gamble for the whole pot, not, you know what I mean? It's like, exactly. Oh, I'm going to gamble this Wendy's <laughs> to get a steak dinner. Not I'm going to gamble this Wendy's to get Burger King. Like, yeah, sure. That's great. But like, that's not the the direction you were going or whatever. So you start working for this paper and then, you know, uh, at somewhere between there and Education Week, you become a, a, a video store. By the way, you're our first like video person we've had, I've had on. So awesome. I say we like there's a big team behind me. It's <laughs> it's me. <laughs> but I you're the first video person that could be. I know you do photo, too. I'm not going to act like that isn't true. But you know what yeah. I mean? I was so excited about that. I was like, oh, I've said video in the intro and I've never brought a video person on yet. So. Oh, awesome. Yeah. yeah, but it you tra- you you as I have done, you did that transition from stills to video. You know what what happened between Indiana and Education Week for that to be a, a reality? Yeah, so like working at a daily paper, um, you know, you're doing like six, you know, like it's like six assignments, seven assignments a day. You're running around 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there, and then they want video on top of it, and so you just get really good at doing a lot and nothing's ever perfect, but like you get the job done. And so it started with the flip and then I didn't like that. So then I went to my Nikon had video on it. So I started recording with my Nikon and then I was like, my audio is awful. So then I got a shotgun mic to go on my Nikon. And then I learned about, I was like, I can't get rid of this hiss in my DSLR. What is up with this? And, and then I got a preamp that goes to the bottom of your thing and it just balloons from there and just learning I just learned on the job, you know, I had an editor there that was just like, hey, we just want clips like we don't even need a full story. So the fact that I got to play with editing and learning Premiere and and just that whole process, they were super supportive and they would let me stay in the building all night long editing really bad video. But, you know, it was it was learning. 
I feel like you and I learned video at the same time yeah. based on your brief description right there. I remember flip cameras were, I was at Best Buy working uh, in between colleges when flip videos came out. And I remember I, I've heard about like newspapers using them like later on. I'm like, oh my gosh, anybody <laughs> bought those things? Like what? <laughs> but uh, for those that don't know, it's it's basically like a cell phone video camera, but in like the form factor of like a walkie talkie uh, <laughs> with a little screen on the back. It was like for reporters to like point at people and be like, what? did the fireman say lady on the street or whatever uh it was a really weird device but i think i'm kind of glad we learned video when we did because i feel like like you just said so many things that i have to like explain to people now and not no judgment but like preamp hiss right like so a preamp (laughs) is the device in an audio recorder or video recorder that like takes the signal from the microphone and makes it into like a audio recording and we had to learn all about those because they didn't exist in our cameras, really. So it was like I got a full course in like preamps in 2011. <laughs> and now I can like look at an audio recorder and be like, I, I know to ask, like, how, what are the preamps like in this audio recorder I'm looking at? Because I remember what bad ones were like. Uh, I was- had a Marantz. I used a Marantz for for that and then i had to pipe in a cable yeah it was man the amount of stuff you had to do i literally had to hack my cannons i switched from nikon to canon and i had to hack them to get dual separate audio controls and disable the auto gain it was like a nightmare yeah it's like all of these cables all this extra stuff that you're bringing and like it just i mean it hasn't gotten any better let's put it that way i mean Oh, yeah, there's cameras, like, three racks of crap behind yeah. me now. Uh, I would love to go back to a book bag with a 24 to 105 and two mics on top of it, thinking that was Absolutely. totally great. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, but now, like, I, I see this is a aside right now. We're getting kind of technical. Uh, but nowadays, people that want to learn video, as you and I both know, it is so easy. Like, you can go buy a used C100 for 800 bucks mm-hmm. that will have real audio, real ND, and, mm-hmm. like, sure, it's quote-unquote only 1080, but, like, as far as storytelling goes, like, that $800 will go a long way, and you and I could both grab that camera, and we could do probably 80% of what we do at work every day. So or at least I know I could. Um, yeah. The C100 is still my favorite camera I've ever used in my entire life. I would still use it today if I uh, didn't need to go 4K, but even then I just got to see 200 because the C100 was my perfect and I paid like $6,000 for it. (laughs) So did I. Yeah, I did too. I paid full, I paid full price for mine. (laughs) I remember paying it off like, yes. And then it was like, uh, do you shoot 4K? And I was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah, it's, um, the, that's. I don't see it as a problem. Like having the bar be lower on the technical side is a good thing for storytellers that want to learn it because it's like, it's so much less intimidating now than it was even a few years ago. Like there's just so many places you can get into this and have a lot of success without spending $20,000 or $10,000. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But I'm glad I went through the trenches with like, you know, hacking my cannons (laughs) and doing all those things. Cause now when I don't have the cable in my bag that I need, I'm like, I can, I can figure this I can out fix really this. quick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she like Scotty or whatever on Star Trek. I can <laughs> fix this. Uh, running to the gaff tape bag. Anyways. I mean, that's most of what it is, right? Is like just under pressure being able to fix problems quickly. Yeah. That's literally one of the ways I could describe what I do. I think this whole career, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like just problem solving when no one else can in 10 minutes or yeah. whatever. 
Yep. While still like making everybody feel like you have total control of the situation. <laughs> this is fine. This is so, it's just that that dog at the table with the fire meme. Like this is fine. Like that's that's my whole career. This is fine. Like uh, so so you go from like these little clips and these little things to um what happened next? I mean, clearly it caught someone's attention, right? Yeah. So I just kept building like the portfolio. Um, I didn't work on anything like major at that paper video wise. Um, I just kept doing it and chugging along. And there was a staffer on there that, um, got a freelance assignment request from education week. And she said, I can't do it. Do you want it? And I said, yeah, sure. And so Charlie, she forwarded my name to Charlie and Charlie was like, hey, can you do this portrait? It's for our leaders to learn from. And I was like, yeah. And so I did it. I sent him the pictures. Um, I went way over the top. Like, I lit everything. Like, I was like, oh, my God, this is like a big, big deal. Um, and I sent it to him, and I noticed on some job board that they were hiring for a deputy director of photography. And I sent him uh, an email with the pictures, with my invoice, and my resume. And I said at the bottom of the email, hey, I'm probably highly underqualified, but this is super interesting to me. He responded later um, and gave me an interview. And I interviewed, and I actually have to ask Charlie, I think, I think I didn't get the job. I think somebody else got it. And then something happened, and then I, they asked me. So I was the second choice, but it ended up working out. So two things from that story that are amazing to me. Number one, you had an assignment that, I will admit there are days where I would have half-assed that assignment. And there's days right now I would have half-assed that assignment. We're yeah. like, oh, I need a portrait of this person. Uh, I'm just gonna put them next to a window and shoot it and be like, collect my 800 bucks. I, I think it's like Education Week pays pretty good. No, <laughs> if there's any other client, I'd be like, I'd collect my 200 bucks. Anyways, <laughs> uh, but you know, I mean, I'd take my check. And because it's them, I probably would have brought some lights because they're a better client. But there's days where, you know, something might have happened. You're not feeling great. You know, you had three jobs the week before. I don't know. Whatever it is, you could have easily, like, call, phoned in that assignment. And you didn't. Yep. And it literally immediately, you know, reap what you sow. You got a job out of it. But, like, do you still approach assignments that way? Like... I do. I, I go pretty much over the top when it doesn't need to be. <laughs> um, just because, like, if you have the room to play and the time to play, like, why not? Like, as long as you get the, like, CYA photo, like, the cover your ass thing, then, like, why not go try some other stuff? And if it works, great. And if it doesn't, you at least use that opportunity to try something you normally wouldn't have. Yeah, I, I feel like... I always think whenever someone's like willing to take the extra 10 or 20 minutes, I mean, for me to get just one more look on a portrait yeah, or, or like, you know, just ask the dumb question of like, you know, you always see famously when we were coming up anyways, it was like, you know, the pictures of the soldiers family at their funeral. And well, I asked the wife if I could go home for dinner with them and photograph them at dinner, you know what I mean? Or ask for that one more bit of access. Yeah. And it's like, like you said, it's like, shoot your shot you know like ask do do the extra portrait do the extra thing if they say no no but if if you can get that little extra 10 or 20 minutes or an extra access point um usually that's what will like really set the project apart or the assignment apart no absolutely and then there's times where there's a recent assignment that comes to mind but there's times where you have to also like even if somebody gives you the access it's maybe not the right thing to do and i know that's probably people hear that and cringe but um 
there are times where I've been like, nah, I think you guys need your own time. Um, oh, yeah. Without somebody, uh, take it, and I'll see you in, you know, in a couple hours. Like, I was still spending the time with this person. I was still on for another day with that that person. Um, but they invited me into something extremely intimate, and I think they needed the time with their family to just be with their family. And so, yeah, yeah I think you just kind of got to feel it out, I think. Yeah, I think there's a lot of, at least, you know, like I said, when we came through school, there was a lot of heavy emphasis on the responsibility to be objective and be there, but also, like, understand that there's a human on the other side of the camera, too. Yeah. I remember, um, I'm trying to think of specific examples right now, but I'm blanking, but yeah, very similar vibe to what you just said is, like, you know, it's it's not just, can I make the best picture? This is about me. It's like, well, it's about them. And then you're there to tell the story kind of thing. Yeah. And I think that's something that I've just come into really like educate, like my end career at education week, moving into North Carolina. I feel like I'm much more focused on the people I'm photographing and more protective over that and understanding that it's not about my fancy picture and the cool light. And it, it, it all of that makes it for a great photo when it's appropriate, but sometimes not taking it is at least for me uh a better way i just i've been thinking more about the people on the other side yeah i mean i think last year um i guess technically this year depending on where you live but last year it was definitely a thing there was portraits i did and assignments i did that you had to do in a way that you've never done before you know mm -hmm. um you you couldn't be intimate with people you couldn't be in their room or they couldn't couldn't do so many things, you know, and it was it was a new way of looking at things. And it was obviously for our, our safety, I guess. But it was, I think, more so, at least from my point of view, it was more so for their safety. It was like, I'm OK if I go get sick covering something like I've made that decision to go out and do this work. Um, but the person I'm photographing hasn't, you know, so if I covered a covid clinic yesterday and I go to make their portrait, like I got to respect some things mm -hmm. to make sure that they you know, they don't get sick or whatever. Um, cause I think like, like, you know, do no harm to a degree, but then it's also, you fall too down that far down that rabbit hole and you become a PR photographer though. So it's like, it, it's a balance, you know, there's it's, a lot of subtlety and gray area in this career. Yeah. And I think it's like at a moment by moment judgment too, right? Like there's no way I think to like define it. And I think people are trying and hopefully people smarter than I can figure it out. But, uh, I, it's definitely like one situation does not apply to another situation that doesn't apply to the next. And, yeah. Uh, I, I just think experience and education and trusting your gut at that point, you know what I mean? And that's, I, I have a hard time with like, you know, like we said, art school's expensive, right? Oh, yeah. And uh, I know we, we laugh about it, but um, I would have traded it. You know, I still owe like 30 more thousand on my RIT degree. And, uh, I still would have done it again, like hand, hands down. I, I think about it all the time when I'm mountain biking and I'm like, man, what, what was I an idiot? Like, did I, could I just YouTube this whole career? But I always think about those little things. I think about those tough conversations. I remember, you know, the, it's not like a specific example, but I remember when I photograph a black person in the summer and my professor saying, when you make a picture, you have to think about all the allegorical references of black people in summer with watermelon. And I know this is like really out of context, but yeah. like basically the fact that you being there making a picture of a child enjoying his summer, eating a piece of watermelon could be seen in yeah. this other light by a lot of people and be taken as a very offensive photograph. And I think like 
that's just the ones coming to mind right now. Yeah. Like I said, it's kind of out of context, but I think about that all the time of like how those things still stick with me 10 or 11 years later. Yep. Um, and I, I'll see other people out in assignment sometimes and I, maybe they went to a different school. Maybe they didn't go to school. And I think they didn't have those conversations. You know what I mean? I'm right. blessed to have had those conversations right. in my education or at workshops and things like that. Um, so I, I'm grateful for that big old bill <laughs> every month sometimes. Yeah, my my art school, I wish we had those conversations. I, I really learned that same stuff through um, that director of photography at the first newspaper who just like kind of took me under his wing. And he was, it was him and two other photographers, but the other two were still writers. So he was like the dedicated photo person. And he literally would just come to assignments with me and be like, why are you doing that? Well, now, and he would stop like the whole thing in the middle. And he'd be like, come here. He was truly a treasure. Brian Tombaugh, like, yeah, uh, pretty much taught me everything to get me going. And then some. It's amazing, you know? I mean, I hope that people still get opportunities like that today. And, you know, I think we are just at that tail end of, like, the golden age of newspaper photography. And I got a tiny bit of it at an internship and a part-time job. But, man, I I hope there's still people out there teaching these young people stuff like this. I mean, you know, obviously there's educational resources out there. But, man, I hear about conversations like that. And I'm like, yeah, the, how priceless is that to have a advanced pro be like wait a second <laughs> yeah think about what you're doing <laughs> yeah how about you take a 10 foot step over there look back at this scene and figure out what you're doing right now <laughs> yep he would <laughs> i would go out for the building mugs and and he would be like no nah, do it again like he's just like photograph this like it it's something of worth don't just shoot it from your window I definitely shot some gas pumps from my car window the other day, so I wouldn't get yelled at by Costco <laughs> when they were out of gas. I was definitely like, I'm going to roll through this parking lot. And I'm like, I did it twice and got it framed up on the first one. And the second one dropped the tin. My windows are super tinted on both my cars. And I'm like, boop, da, 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 and then pulled away. <laughs> I did that. I did go the... up and get some wide ones too, but I was like, I know I need this one. I'm going to get this one first before I get kicked out. So I am guilty of that as well. <laughs> yeah, we all are. Um, so Education Week is probably worthy of a whole conversation for two reasons. Number one, probably most people haven't heard of it. But number two, Education Week was the publication to me that opened my eyes to the fact that there is more out there than the obvious clients, right? Like Absolutely. we all think newspapers, wires, sports teams. And like that's kind of where photojournalism seems to exist to people that are outside the industry and people that are even in school right now or stuff like that because i know i found out about it after school and i was like what do they do and they're like oh they're the biggest publication in the country uh or whatever M most subscribed or whatever you know the stat line <laughs> um what was it like for you moving to a publication that again you probably didn't have much experience about before you were there yeah no i didn't i was like the education notebook section of my daily paper right like <laughs> yeah um yeah i remember going in there uh, very nervous and just wanting to do a good job. And one of the things that they asked me when I was there was, are you going to be okay not being a photographer most of the time? And I was like, well, yeah, because I was getting into video and sequencing and like storytelling. And so at that point I was like, yeah, I'll try whatever. Like on one hand, I want a job. On the second hand, it's like, this is just another thing that will help photography, like my photography. Um, so yeah, I started and then, it quickly became a lot of photo editing 
a lot of discussions. Charlie was great. We would put just photos on the wall and, and talk. Um, Jared came in. He was, I came in when um, Jared was working on a year-long project. And he came in. He was my first like assignment. Charlie, we sat in a dark room and we looked at his photos. We talked about the story, and we edited together. Like it wasn't, it was a collaboration, and um, so it was great. But the part of Education Week that I truly, truly loved was long-term, long-form assignments. And they would send me to places to work on stories for three days, four days, five days. Did Native American education's like expose for 10 days in like two locations, like just their commitment to the stories they chose to invest in was phenomenal. And nobody was doing that. I mean, maybe not geo. Right. But I mean, this is education week and I traversed New Mexico talking about internet connections in rural schools, went to Montana with school shootings and uh, interviewed, you know, just like the people I've met paddling in Mississippi um, which, by the way, Mississippi, Varnum in Mississippi is the sweet potato capital of the world. Well, I need to go there. Yeah. I love sweet potatoes. Yeah. I don't, sweet I don't. potato pie. Mama, shut your mouth. <laughs> but there were old country song listeners. <laughs> you were like rock star lifestyle as far as, you know, we were all, I mean, looking up to that as someone who is like getting building mugs and daily assignments, like. I was working on personal projects that I was paying for to like go dig around in for months. But yeah, you were doing these stories that were like, clearly they were invested in, like you said. Yeah. Um, when no one else was, that yeah. is so exciting. It was great. Um, they really had, Charlie had a real dedication to, to photography and, and storytelling. Yeah. And then the video kind of like, I ended up doing photo and video and we had conversation after conversation of how they're not the same thing. Like the, the moment happens once you're either holding your camera, your still camera, or you're holding your video camera. Like, and there's no going back. Right. So like photography wise, you can do some scene setters. You can like make quieter frames and then write about what that represents. Or you get the moment video. You can sequence different things. You can rely on interview. You can, you do other things, but Whatever thing you were holding when it happens is the thing you got. And I think that's what I had to learn early on was if I'm expected to do both, there's like a 20% error in everything. Like gear, story, technical, like, but I have to come back with stuff. Yeah. So figuring out my, my approach to photography and my approach to video and really figuring out what I wanted to do in each moment is what I learned at Education Week. And as frustrating as it is, I've just made a career of being a one-man band now. And um, I do both. Yeah. And I'd like to think I, I do it well. <laughs> yeah, I think you do. I always, like, see you getting stuff and I'm just like, the son of a bitch. Like, you'll post photos that are, like, dialed and then you'll post video that's great, too. And I'm like, this son of a bitch. Like, I know you're doing both at once. I know what yeah. gear you have. I know there's no crew <laughs> with you. And I'm like... That's a lot of work to do that that well. Um, it's been pretty awesome seeing you in a totally new environment now. It's been really cool. Um, I was doing exactly what you were just describing this past weekend. Um, and I did a uh, photo and video of a baseball game for an upcoming story. And uh, the whole time I had to like remind myself that like, okay, th- they, and I always like kind of put it on client. Like mm-hmm. what's the emphasis? Like 
You yeah. know, is this a photo story you need some video clips for, or is this a video story you need some photos from? Yep. And like, that's a big question I ask. But the whole time I'm telling myself that, like, because I'm like you, it's like, well, we can just this can be better, this can be better, and, I, and instead I'm just like, okay, like you're giving up something right now. Like I can't move as fast with a video tripod, a video camera, and a photo camera, let alone with telephoto lenses for mm-hmm. that assignment. But yeah. like, you're not going to be able to get like six angles today. Like he's this guy's on the mound for a few innings. You're trying to get him. You're trying to get this other guy, like whatever, like Mm -hmm. just cover your bases Mm -hmm. as best you can. Um, That's hard to do. That's really hard to do. And it's really hard to do as a career. And then it's really hard to do all those things and then push it to make it good. What are some of the things you're doing when that goes through your head? You know, when you're out on assignment doing these things. Yeah, it's, you know, racing is pretty dynamic. I don't go to the track all that much. Um, but when I do, like, I just spent two nights at a local dirt track here with one of our drivers who's, like, crew chiefing. It's kind of cool. It's a neat little story. But my photo, how I've, how I've separated it, and being new to something is also in my favor, right? When you come into something with fresh eyes, with no history, everything's interesting. So, like, it'll be interesting to see what pictures I make two, three years from now and if they're still, like, engaging. Because right now everything's fresh and new and I'm looking at it differently because... I don't, I didn't know anything about racing. Um, but to separate photo and video, I usually know the story that I'm going to tell with video. So in Darlington, it was Corey Himes first, like his debut truck series race. That's the story I need to tell. So driving down, I get a couple photos, right? Of like rear view mirror, side road, like, but the rest is video and it's talking to him and it's, Filming all of the ancillary shots of like the tree going by, the road going, signs, like so primary video. And I guess that's how I would approach everything now is everything is primary video, but I have this thing in me that will not let me put my still camera down. I cannot. Like Yeah. Um and so my photos are quiet. I have accepted the fact that I just I won't get the peak moments in photo because I can't. I have to tell the story through video and that's my main goal the photo i'm using is just this kind of like sketch pad of interesting things and seeing things just for the first time Um, yeah and that's kind of what i've been doing is just i have a one lens on my camera like i don't it's either a 50 or it's a 24 to 70 and that's it i don't worry about changing lenses i don't want to and same with video i'll bring the telephoto and i'll keep it in my like side pouch but it's a 24 to 105 on a c200 with a shotgun mic and a wireless kit in my other pocket some cards and a battery extra battery in my back pocket and that's it you can tell every story with that situation i think yeah that's all and that's all i do and i shoot everything in 4k which is making me lazy because i didn't get two shots out of it (laughs) yeah you can right so the c200 is 4k 8-bit whatever c100 was uh 1080 at, at 8-bit, and that 8-bit's fine for me. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, it's, yeah. People get way too caught up in so many things with video, and it's like, I have so many projects I shot in the C200. I, yeah, I, I it's a very amazing camera. I'm trying to sell mine right now, so if anybody wants one, hit me up. But uh, <laughs> I love that little camera, and I'm with you. It's like, you, you don't need a lot. I'm saying this as someone who's super guilty of bringing a truckload of gear to do an interview. But 
you really don't like you really can yeah. tell a lot of stories with not much yeah um and i think the less kit you have kind of the less encumbered you are and the more freely you can move and tell the stories and you, you saying that you keep one lens on that still camera um Man, I shot motocross one day, like mm-hmm. 2019. I went to, a, I went as a fan. Yeah, and I just brought like a, I think I brought a 24 to 105 or a 50, yeah. like an F4, you know, yep. not telephoto. And I was more stoked about those motocross pictures than I probably was like the last six sporting events I had shot. Yeah, I think once for me, like once I take out all of the, because po- I get overwhelmed with possibility, it, it's almost crippling actually. So if I have like a bunch of lenses to choose from. And like, oh, I can mount a remote up here and put a trigger over here and blah, blah, blah. Like, that is debilitating. Like, just give me one camera. <laughs> give me audio because I do like to make sure my audio is on point. Um, but just give me the basics and, like, let me go. And yeah. I only have a C200 because I like the C100. But it's heavy. I mean, that, that camera is heavy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. C70, bro. Is it love good? I will have to I check. We'll have to chat gear. I don't, you know. I'll DM you some string outs I have that are pretty spicy. Yeah. That awesome. are not released yet. That I want to show people real bad. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll yeah. show you. I'll text them to you. Dude, that'd be um, great. I'd love to see it. So, so what I find really interesting about your work currently is you come from a, I mean, like you said, you're, you're telling the story of internet access in Native American communities in the Southwest, right? That is a quiet, subtle topic mm-hmm. to then go to straight pipe v8s and <laughs> southern boys ripping them around dirt tracks which is amazing uh <laughs> as an editor's note um but you photographing that in a way that is a juxtaposition to your style ver- is it such a juxtaposition to the action what are you like how does the client like that i mean you know what i mean like I, I, if you told me like oh someone got hired at toyota or you know to photograph these racers I'm going to be like, oh, it's going to be some frat bro sports photographer, you know, who's or like the owner's kid or something like that. And it's going to be like action, pump up, like, let's go, like (laughs) burnouts. And instead, it's like you post these pictures that are like these beautiful documentary. You posted something the other night. They're like these black and white photos from a dirt track. And I'm like, this son of a bitch. Like, (laughs) these are great. Like, I was so stoked on them. And, you know, yeah. Anyways, I'm rambling. But like, no, it's. How does the client okay with that? Yeah, so I work in a very niche kind of uh, environment. So I work out of our performance center, and my sole like responsibility is to a the Toyota driver development program. And so we do have cup guys that that come here, but usually it's trucks, Xfinity, Arca, late models, dirt. So grassroots kind of racing coming up through the ranks. These kids are young. They're like, um, they're learning, they're going through things, they're training, they're, they're doing all these things. And again, like I have this innate thing where photo documentary, photo documenting a period of time is just part of the package. So my job responsibility isn't those black and white photos. Those black and white photos are things that I can't help myself. I just have to do it or else I don't know what I'm doing. Um, so on top of that, like, so the last, the last two nights, right. From Millbridge, the black and whites you're talking about. I'm also there to help Christopher tell his story of being a team owner and tie in his sponsors and make his sponsors happy. So there are photos that I don't show that are just like the DeWalt drill on the ground or the craftsman generator or like 
there, so I am fulfilling multiple objectives at one time. Um, my, my job responsibility first and foremost is to make branded content that supports our sponsors through our driver development program. Gotcha. And so I make content for these drivers to help facilitate the performance center and get them on brand and get the brands happy that they're getting exposure in the racing world. And so that's, that's, that's my focus. The rest is gravy, right? Like, so if I get a cool picture that hits on all of those fronts, that's, that's, that's gold to me. If it works for the client and it works for me, that's what I, that's what I strive to do. But yeah, I would say those black and white photos are more personal work um, than anything. People love them here. We want to put them on the wall. Like everyone loves them, but it goes back to our conversation earlier. Like these real photos, um, how do they, how do they work in a branded space? Right. Yeah. Um, and I think some brands embrace it and some brands are trying to embrace it, but it, you know, I don't know. It's a gray area. I, so I do a lot of that work too. So that's, I followed a similar, as a freelancer, I followed a similar path. You know, I, I still do news. I still do sports, but I do a lot of like branded content. And for those that aren't versed in this branded content basically means, um, a sponsor is paying, either publication, a company, or something to put together a piece. So as a great example, um, I did one with my buddy Zach and uh, my other buddy Charles, and we did it for CW, a TV network. They have a new show coming out or did for Texas, Walker, Texas Ranger. So we flew down to Texas, and we made a little documentary about the Walker, Texas Rangers, like or the real Texas Rangers. And so CW paid for it, and then it got ran on a TV station, um... And yeah, so anyways, so like we got to make this really cool little piece and it was paid for by somebody else. Uh, so it's kind of like, it's kind of like a dirty word, I guess, in a sense. Like some yeah. people don't love it because it's like, well, a sponsor's paying for it. But to me, well, number one, um, I was sick of being poor. Yeah. <laughs> I liked having an income and it allows me to do work that I do care about. And number three, the work you do is actually sometimes better than the work I would do normally because it's more thought out. People mm -hmm. are invested in it. And a lot of times it's pretty free roaming. Like we didn't have, we didn't do any with that particular project. We didn't do anything other than just make it. And then yeah. they just like slapped their logo at the beginning and said like new TV show. Check it yeah. out. Also Texas Rangers. And it was like pretty cool. Like I was excited about it. Um, so anyways, I was trying to just give a brief explainer for those that don't know what branded content is, but like, yeah, so when you say this, it's like, you know, uh, DeWalt Drills has sponsors so-and-so. Um, you know, he, here's a night of the track with them or something like that, mm -hmm. right? That kind of That's the kind of vibe here. Yeah, and, it's, and they're real, it's a real story, right? It does not adhere to photojournalism ethics. It's not photojournalism. It falls in the doc space somewhere, though. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm still telling real stories some of the time, right? Like, I'm not presenting a, a documentary style video that isn't a documentary style video. Like if it's if it's a produced piece, it will look like a produced piece. Yeah. But like Corey Himes' first trip, um, or for debut in the truck series, that was all doc. Straight doc, you know, and I yeah. just had to film a bunch of JBL stuff to supplement that video to to make it on point. And yeah. um it's kind of interesting to find ways to do that naturally. Like I love the opening shot is him turning up the head unit in the car and it's JBL. Like that was easy. <laughs> I didn't <That's> exactly. <laughs> it, 
it it's it sounds weirder than it is when you actually do it i yeah. guess is the way i think about it and has someone when we're all in, like totally in this influencer culture now it's happening all around you all the time yes. you know um it so for me it makes perfect sense to be doing it because it's like you know the the person who's wearing a hat in their Instagram photos, they might own that hat company or they might own that sunglass company mm-hmm. if they're a big famous person. They might not say it, but that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. Or you know, you watch a camera review on YouTube. Like those are all, a lot of them are brought to you by whoever the product person is, or they're yeah. paying the person to talk about it or whatever. Yeah. Um. And sometimes it's obvious, but a lot of times it's not. You know, they very much just imply what's going on with uh you know something being an ad or whatever. Totally. I mean, I find it super interesting. I'm also stretching my, so we're right now we're working on episodic content and, and making like weekly series and it's cool. Like I'm stretching my writing skills, like storyboarding. We're coming up with, you know, sketch comedy. Like we're, it's, it's kind of like a, what I imagine writing for Saturday night live is in a different space. Like every week you start with a blank slate and you're like, okay, I need to make something this week. What are we going to make? And then, yeah. and then we go. And so now we're doing some, some weekly things that are repeating, which are, which are really good. And they're getting picked up by the brands themselves, which is like a huge, you know, you're doing something right. Right. If mobile one amplifies something that you do out of a little tiny studio in Cornelius, North Carolina, like, cool. <laughs> I, so I think what's really exciting about this is you're finding ways to push yourself. Like, you, you know, through your client and through yourself like so that's a big thing you've been talking about a lot a little a lot in between the lines here is you know i like still take this camera because that's where i'll that's the space i want to be in at some point or thing i want to do and then your clients coming and saying we got to find new ways to tell stories um let's reinvent the wheel here and like you're doing something you're not comfortable with what what in your gut like lights that fire for you to like be better yeah, I mean, at this point, so I'm going to be 42 this year. Like, if I screw this up, I'm in a world of hurt because I can't go back to engineering. It's been too long. So this is the thing that I just have to make work. There are days where you're just like, oh, man, I'm just fried. Like, creativity fries out a lot for me. Like, I just wake up and I'm like, oh, man, I have to make something. I don't know what to make. But then I make phone calls. I talk to people and something will spark, right? You just got to believe it's going to spark and it'll spark. Um, and just keep walking forward, I think is kind of, I, I don't know if I dodged that question at all. No, you didn't. I, <laughs> I think the last thing you said is how I feel about it is it's, it's, I, I have, I totally agree with bringing burnout. This last year has been terrible, like yeah. absolutely horrible, it, you know, not having a full-time gig and getting a paycheck has been really, really rough. So I kind of hit rock bottom mentally, like in like March. Right. Yeah. And, but it's like, just put the shoes on put you know what i mean people get into running they always say that like when you wake up put on your running shorts yeah. and then you look like an idiot if you go eat breakfast with running shorts on and it's like so if you go and put all the stuff on you'll at least walk around the block or something and i yeah. feel like that about photo it's like so, like i met a dude this winter um through a friend and we become friends and he's the opposite of me i'm i can find the fault in everything my dad's an engineer my grandpa's an engineer it's like the way i am this dude is like a walking cartoon character of positivity. And for me, just watching him make stuff and I'd be like, wait, I can I can do this. Like I can make stuff. And I think making stuff and just going forward immediately starts the wheels going again. And you, you just 
things get better. Things start looking cool. Things start getting better for you, you know? Yeah. No, I, I completely agree, man. Like in video editing, right? Like compartmentalizing works for me a lot. It's like if I'm overwhelmed by a project and I have like three days of footage, I kind of know the story, but I'm not feeling like I don't have an opener. I don't. It's like, okay, cool. Well, what are the steps to video editing? And just go through the steps. It's like ingest footage, log footage, organize footage. Pull your A-roll, like anything that sounds interesting. Okay, now make a new timeline. Pull your B-roll, like, and see what you have. And then move to selecting your A-roll and, like, framing out your kind of narrative. And then what B-roll, like, I don't, it just fall back to these defaults that just keep you going. And then yeah, it snowballs. And you're just like, oh, man, got it. <laughs> I, I Yeah, I think, like, pretty much everybody who's really good at anything in life seems to just do the basic thing, like, really, really well. You know what I mean? Like they learn the basics and they just do it really well over yeah. and over. Um, and that's how I feel like when I get into this space is especially with video editing. Yeah. It's just like, you know what? Put everything down, organize it, mm-hmm. sort it out, pull your B-roll, mm-hmm. you know, just someone, someone taught me, I don't know if it was on a YouTube video or something else, but they said, when you're editing video, st- stop going back to the beginning to rewatch it. Just keep <laughs> going down the timeline and just keep building. <laughs> and then like, just keep going and don't go back to the beginning. Cause, and I, when I did that like a few years back, that sped up video editing for me so much. So I like, <gasps> I like, I never hit that home button and go back to the beginning of the timeline. I always like put together this scene. Okay. Let's just like lay down the next scene and just keep going. And oh, that's it works. brilliant, dude. Dude, it's a big one for me. I can't tell you if I get the first 15 seconds of a video, I like, I don't smoke cigarettes, but like, it's equivalent of like, whew, now I'm going to watch it for 45 minutes over and over yeah. and over again to just like reassure myself how good I did. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's what I always did. I was always like that. And now I'm like, okay, like, <laughs> let's just put some things down. Okay, I got to cover this next point in the talking cover. You know what I mean? I just like start putting my band-aids down, down the line. And then before you know it, it's like a week later. I've got to try done. that. Yeah, never go, never hit home. Just, just keep going. Keep going. <laughs> That's so brilliant, man. <laughs> uh, I, I, like I said, I can't take credit, but I love that tip. That's one of my favorite yep. things for video editing. I'm gonna use it. See what I mean? Still learn stuff that's new, like. <laughs> exactly. Every day. Going forward, like, yeah. What, what's next for Sweet Car? Like, what, what do you, you know? Obviously, you're working on this episodic content, but like. Mm-hmm. What really gets you going? What's your goals? What are your, you know, what's, you know, not next like career wise, but like, you know, what, what do you look forward to or what are you striving for? Right now, I think what, what I'd be looking forward to is just keep like, I, I'm really liking these like black and white photos that I've kind of are taking, they're taking shape on their own really. And uh, I really love doing the grassroots racing stuff and kind of documenting what jazzes me about the job is kids come in at all different ages and levels and then they progress through. And that story of the progression is just fascinating. You know, oh, yeah. um, being a professional athlete and you're 16, 17, going through your day to day and uh, from the, the ground level to the top level, you know, we have this entire range and sometimes all of those people are in the building at the same time. So to see the conversations between a 16 year old and you know someone driving cup is like, Oh, this is really cool. This is so surreal. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I just kind of want to keep doing the, 
doing the work of the stuff behind the stuff. Uh, yeah. And I don't know, one day take a look at it all and see if it amounts to something. Well, just remember to not hit the home button and just keep making that edit going forward. <laughs> <laughs> just start at the beginning of this project and just edit it forward. Yeah. Oh, man. It. So I always end this with like three questions. And Sweetheart and I are going to hop on the Patreon, right? You okay with that? We're going to talk a little bit yeah. about getting getting, jo- getting jobs and how that how some of the tactics he takes for that. But sure. um, is there a project looking back that you'd like to talk about Um that just really meant a lot to you or you always kind of pull back to that one and it really excites you or, or just maybe has a great story. Is there anything like that that you'd really like to share? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many, um, getting to, um, do a story on the rebuilding of the Puerto Rico school system, um, and not the devastation was really uplifting. And that's kind of, it was a turning point for me on like framing a story and, uh, this was after the hurricane in like yeah. 2011, 12, that range, right? Yeah, it was Maria. I can't even remember when that was. Now. Yeah. We, Chris, Christopher Gregory and I talked about that as well. So oh, okay. he's from so Puerto then, Rico and he covered that. Yeah. So we talked about it. So that same hurricane though. That same hurricane. Yeah. Yep. So we did a year long, I did a year long project on that and I went there four times. I think the first time was like two weeks after Maria happened. I, I found a seat on a plane with a reporter and we just went and we just started talking to people on how they were going to get back online. Um, and it was, it was cool. There was a lot of resilience and a lot of great just community coming together. It was really impactful. Yeah. Well, you were saying like that really made it, it was a turning point for you on how to frame a story. I was really curious what you meant by that. Yeah. So instead of focusing on like, Hey, this thing happened and we're all messed up. This was like, Hey, this is a problem. What are the working parts? It was like a systemic story, actually. So it was, it was, it was the educational system coming back online and all of the challenges that, that were going on. So like, you know, the teachers union could, they didn't even know how many teachers they had left or like they couldn't communicate. So they were like shuttling food up the mountain um, to get into communication with teachers. They didn't, they just needed to assess the scope for so long, like just understanding what the problem was and in, in moving forward. Jeez. It was, it was, it was big. Um, but yeah, so photographing people in an empowering way. I don't know. I just don't want to photograph people at their worst anymore. Yeah. I, I kind of like doing that. I don't, I like people always ask me like, what's my favorite thing to photograph? And I always say like misery. Like yeah. I really love, Yeah. I love, I, I don't do a lot of it anymore but I, lo- I love finding something in that rubble either literally or metaphorically right but i totally get what you're saying and but but the part of me that's frustrated is I, that i often those clients which is no fault of theirs don't have any interest in the after right. um we move on as a society and right. as a news organization it's very much like feed the beast move on so it's like great you cover a tornado for a few days like i did that last year and that was great right but there really wasn't any like of the rebuild, you know, and I, I yeah. remember when like a year came up, I was like, maybe there's like a story in here of the year after like all these people passed away in this little town. And it's kind of like, you know, yep. I don't know. I, I didn't pitch it super hard because I was busy, but like also it didn't, you know, no one asked either. So I guess it's so I love to hear that you that you took joy in that because totally agree. Yeah. And then I think the the Native American education expose like 
telling that story in a way because there's been a lot of stories on Pine Ridge, and that's something Charlie and I had talked about um, for in, in depth before I went. Is like, what are the pictures we don't need? <laughs> yeah, and yeah. and you know, as a photographer, not taking them too, right? I'm just not even going to take this because the temptation and you know whatever to to kind of use it and exploit it. Like even just putting it in my portfolio or just, I wanted to, I wanted to stay as true to the story that I was telling as possible. And it makes it stronger. Yeah. That's your point of view, your publication's point of view. There's, there's a reason that you're not making those pictures. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, I think that a lot on assignments that like, there's the obvious one right there. It's like, oh, I'll just take this one. Yeah. Uh, but then there's the other mentality of like, take it and then decide it's better to have it than, and not use it than not have it. I see. Mm-hmm. I see both of those. But then what Charlie and I decided is if we needed more photos from Pine Ridge, we'll just go license them from existing libraries. Yeah. that's kind of how we approach that. Um, internet access in New Mexico, just anything. I just found myself in rural America and falling in love with it. Just. Yeah. The, the vast landscape in the United States. It's really great to have been able to travel all over um, and still tell stories that aren't just like unpopulated. Impop- they're, they're issues that are in unpopulated. Yeah, I would love, that would be my dream job. I'm, I grew up in a really small town. I grew up in the northern edge of Appalachia and uh, it it's different than the cities. You know what I mean? And a lot of people in this industry are from where you're from, which is no offense to them, but a <laughs> lot of people are from the coasts and yep. that's, that's cool. But, um, yeah, it is, I have a lot of value in the in between. So I, I drive a lot. I get to see those places a lot, but man, I would absolutely kill to be able to have some kind of job where it's like, yeah, go, go tell these in between rural poor area stories. Cause that's like, I didn't, I didn't even know a lot about where I grew up until after I realized that it wasn't like where everyone else grew up, <laughs> you know? Oh, it's, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you know what you so. know, right? Like, Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that I'll tell people and they're like, people said things like that? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, like, you know what I mean? Or did things like that or whatever, or believed that or did that. And it's like, yeah, it's just like what we did, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. Um, and the same thing I hear from, I remember in my twenties when I met people from New York city, I'm like, y- you really rode the subway as a kid. Like you didn't have a car, like things like that were mind blowing to me. Cause <laughs> I thought the subway is for like people getting to work, you know, like, you know, or whatever. <laughs> I don't know what I thought when I was a kid, but yeah. Anyways, now, now I know regular people ride the subway too. It turns out. <laughs> so I like to end the episode with three of the same questions, which seeing as I'm pretty bad about making these episodes, I half forget every time I never go back and look them up. And I've probably made the same joke every episode too. <laughs> um, but the first one is what is one piece of gear or actually this is the second question. Ooh. That's, I actually do remember that. First one is what's a lesson or something, you know, now that you wish you learned a really long time ago. Or like it could be something technical or very deep and thoughtful. <laughs> but yeah, like what's something that you that you knew you know now that you just really wish you knew a lot younger? When I was younger, I always like thought failure was the end all be all. And I wish I could go back and tell myself that failure is it. That's the point. Like just fail. Go and fail cuz you get to the point where even your failure is a success. It might be a failure to me, 
but it's still successful to the client. And I just keep raising the bar and the bar comes up behind me. Like, and I just think, I, I just realized that failure is the point of the whole thing. That may not be the best answer to that question, but it's the one I agree with the most, man. That is like, and I've answered that question, so I don't even know what I'm saying, but uh, <laughs> that is like such a good answer. I love that mentality. Um, I found that thing the other day that I posted that I don't even remember what it said, but it was something to that effect of like, you know, or it was the, the people that are good work so hard that they wish they think they're not working hard enough or something like that, that I posted that you had liked. And, um, yeah, I just feel like it's, it, there's so much no's. I'm so glad I worked retail before I got into this career path. Cause I, I'm, I'm not being funny. Like I literally am glad I worked retail Yeah. Cause being told by a manager all day that you have to sell accessories and service plans on cameras and computers and all this stuff and being told no by I, th- I think statistically like 96% of people um, and finding new ways to ask the same question over and over. I, yeah. It and, prepared me so well. Like and still to just having like, the drive to do it. Right. Like, yeah, I think people get discouraged when it's like compare yourself to it's so easy to compare yourself nowadays. Like it wasn't always that easy, but now, you know, there's always something better. Like it just, that's just the way it works. You know, yeah. you're never, well, I, maybe somebody will be the best. Maybe there is somebody who is the best at something, but I'm not. And I just do what I do, man. Like, I, I can tell you one thing. You must made the best black and white photograph of that dirt track the other night. So there, yeah, there you go. <laughs> fuck the haters. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, no, I agree. I, it is so hard and yeah, the comparative current ecosystem of social media and everything, uh, makes it even harder, but it, it is, yeah failing is so important though i mean it's just like you have to just do it um you have to go make work you have to go try you have to apply those jobs i I tell a lot of young people the the way i kind of say something similar i guess is like let them say no like let them say no to your internship application like don't count yourself out before you apply or whatever um yeah again something somebody else told me i'm not i just collect quotes from other people and spit them back out i don't think of these things do you remember the RNC? We were there together at, at one yep. point. I was outside one time and I, had, I was doing video portraits and I had my camera there and I went to switch lenses and for some reason my Nikon and I did this like so many times. I wish I could say it was an accident, like a fluke, but I did. My finger always hit the lens release when it was just hanging on my neck. I just, I don't know why. And so I'm filming a video portrait and I hit the lens release and my 24 to 70 fell to the ground. And so I either had a 70 to 200 or a 50 left. And I ended up covering the rest of the RNC with a 50. And like, it was like, whatever, man, this is what it is. We're just going to yeah. do it. And <laughs> I don't know what that had to do with anything. It, whatever we were talking about reminded me of that. Yeah, but it's just like there on a, on a small scale, you're going to have things go wrong. Yeah. Like every single assignment I've walked into, maybe not every, there's probably one in there that everything worked right, but like every one is going to have some sort of challenge or limitation or restriction. I'll fight back against them. As anybody who follows me on Instagram will know that I will bitch about everything to try to make it better for everybody. But, um, but there's going to be restrictions. You're gonna have to work around them. But to a large scale, it's like, man, I've seen, people get so much attention from a personal project that I'm like, this is not good or I don't like this, you know? Yeah. And it's been over my whole career. I've always thought this like every year I'm like, why is this so popular? Why is this getting shared? And it's like, you know what? Cause they did it. Yep. And to me, I don't like the work, 
but to someone else, they do like the work. And yeah. I'm sure to that person, maybe they don't like the work, but right. they went and made it. And yep. there are a bunch of other people said they're going to make it and they didn't. Um, but yeah, it's like, go, go do it. Go, go try to get over that. Whether, yeah, you drop your lens or you decide if you're going to go tell some story or something like that. Yeah. And just keep experimenting and playing, right? So being curious and playing, I think are two, two traits that we should do more of. So the second question is a bit lower level, but what's one thing or piece of gear that you just got to have with you? Like what's something that's always got to be with you? Um, and like I said, might be gear, it might not. It is literally my phone. And I will tell you why. Because I have been able to re- get the shots that I need with my phone. And it just, it is the best filler for anything that I need. Like I have, I think everything that I do, I have my s- some cell phone footage in it because that is the frame, like the lens, like it was just the thing I needed in that moment. Um, that's awesome and it's definitely the phone otherwise it's probably something audio related like a wireless mic and like actually taking the initiative to put the wireless on somebody and just letting it go and like yeah the rest i I don't care what camera it is honestly anymore (laughs) i i I mean i like what i have now but yeah it's (laughs) you can get real caught up in that more than it matters um so the last question gets deep Uh um yeah so this is the big one um so this show is listened to by professionals, photo editors, um, young students, uh, people like you that have another job. I got a lot of people that listen that are like have another job and they want to get into this. Mm-hmm. What's what's something that you would want to tell all of them? And that could be something about the industry. That could be a soapbox moment. It could be something you wish everybody was doing or made better. What, whatever you want to say. It's kind of your your soapbox to stand on that you wish you could tell everybody. Or takeaway even? I mean, I, I think rates are probably one of the biggest things. So actually, it's two things. So it's rates and speak to journalism in general. It's like, I just feel like if you want more stories in rural America, there's it's hard to stay gainfully employed as a freelancer in rural America. And, and Yeah. And, and two, it. that diversity is not just hiring... Um, the photographer or the videographer or whatever it's the people on set, the people making decisions, like, you know, your, your producers, like there's entire like structures that need to be diverse, not just the forward facing thing, not just the people in your story, just as a whole, I think thinking about that in a much bigger concept than just um, the story you're telling. I think, I think those two are so related. Yeah. Uh, as someone who's from a really rural area who wish, if I could, I would live in rural America. I don't, I live in a city now and it is a great city. Um, but if it were up to me, I would live about three hours from here or in wherever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think diversity and those rural stories both suffer from the same thing of like, you need to figure out the money. Like this yeah. career path is very difficult to do if you don't come from some sort of means. Yep. Um, if you're going to stay true to that photojournalism, yep. um, some of us like us have went off to kind of more of this advertising stuff. But like, yep. man, if you want diversity, if you want local voices, like you got to pay wages that are make it a job. I mean, you know, it's like, yeah. I think you can't 
you can't hire a more diverse group of people and then pay them a non-living wage once a month or once every three months and be like, wow, why are these people not sticking around? Or rural people too. It's like, I know a bunch of people live in rural areas, markets that they just went and got other jobs because they're like, I can go work construction and like pay my bills and just live my life. And it's a lot better. Yeah. No, I, I, I absolutely agree. Gear is expensive. I mean, I, I won't buy another camera as long as I can help it. I won't buy another lens as long as I can help it because it's expensive. Like, yeah. Paying bills, buying a house is expensive, man. I got oh, yeah, gear. And then life. I'll yeah, trade yeah. you gear. I want a house. Uh, but, yeah. you know, it's like I want to own land. Uh, but yeah, it's it's you. It's hard to make it go on three hundred bucks an assignment. You know, like I said, once every few months. It's yep. like it's not a. It shouldn't be a blessing from God. It should be a sustainable job. So Absolutely. That's hard. I I harp on that a lot. But anyways, sweetheart, where can the tens of people that will listen to this podcast go and find you that's a joke more people listen to it than that but, uh where can people go and find you and check out your work and uh see some of the projects you're working on so right now um the stuff that i make is literally lives and breathes on our driver's channels there is not um sometimes it'll be on the toyota racing twitter and instagram but they they have their own kind of uh content that they they create and stuff but sometimes it transitions there Otherwise, it's on driver's channels. It's on my Instagram and my LinkedIn is kind of what I've been using to just showcase my portfolio. I might get a website back up and running at some point. But for now, SweetCarPatel.com is just, I pay for it for no reason other than to have SweetCarPatel.com. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can relate. So I haven't updated mine in like, you thought you would think during COVID, like that would have been something a lot of people did. Like I'm going to rebuild my website and I started a podcast <laughs> instead. And <laughs> then like towards the end of pandemic, I was like, I never did that. huh? <laughs> now I'm like, Oh, I should really do that. And I'm like, Oh, I wish I had like a week of nothing to do. And I'm like, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I did the same thing. I should have gotten the website up during COVID and I didn't. But yeah. at the same time, I kind of like just having the social platforms and that just being work because then i can disengage from it now like yeah if i don't want to work then i don't go on instagram and yeah kind of easy and linkedin is like kind of more polished yeah i need to lean in on that linkedin life i don't know is it do people still use it like, i don't know i, don't I guess know. we'll talk about it in patreon <laughs> we'll cool. figure it out that was a pretty smooth segue dang i'll <laughs> yeah i'll take credit for that one <laughs> anyways uh Sweetheart, thanks for taking the time, man. I know we're both busy and I really appreciate you doing it. Yeah. Um, I hope it's okay if people reach out to you because um, I'm sure a lot of people have questions and stuff. So yeah. if you are, hit him up over on Instagram and um, he's on there quite a bit and happy to answer questions. But thank you so much for taking the time, man. Uh, and for those listening, really appreciate all the love and support and you know you taking the time to listen to this show. And if you're a Patreon member, man, I really appreciate that because you're paying for all the hosting and the time to make these shows. So that means a lot and keeps it ad free. Yeah. Woo woo. Uh, so anyways, uh, check us out on the Patreon. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for coming on, Suikar. Thanks, Brett. Great catching up. Thanks for listening to Reciprocity Podcast. Please take a moment to subscribe and rate us five stars on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found value in this podcast and want to learn even more, head over to patreon.com slash reciprocity podcast to support the show.